Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Why don't you go ahead and stand up right now for the reading of the word. And we got a good word for us here today. I hope you're ready and eager to receive this word. And we have our, our dear friend, my pastor, one of my pastors and my coach, Pastor Chris Songson is in the house here. And uh, he's got a great word for us here today, guys. And I'm so excited to have him. This guy travels the universe, speaking at different churches and is doing some great things for the kingdom of God. And he's going to talk about one of them uh, that we'll look at the very, very end of the service. But he's also got a great word for us here today. So once I read the scripture and call Pastor Chris up, make sure you welcome him. Okay. Give him a huge, loving, rousing welcome. Can you do that? Okay. Make him feel loved. Even if you don't love him, just take it. Second <laughs> Corinthians. 9, verse 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Everybody say generously. Generously. That's our prayers, that we'd be generous people. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. We always have have opportunities to give of our time, our lives, our hearts, our words, our talents, our treasures. We're going to have an opportunity to give financially at the very end of this service to an incredible cause, guys. Let me just encourage you, you, don't give under compulsion or, or reluctantly, but do it cheerfully. And I pray that you and I would be generous, not just with our words and how we love and treat one another, but also with our finances. Let's, let's, let's pray about, Lord, how, how generous would you like me to be today? So this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you welcome Pastor Chris Songson to the front here? All right. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Hey, it is so good to be able to be with you guys today. What an amazing privilege. We're going to have a blast hanging out. Here's why I think church should be the funnest place to be all week long. I think it's boring then. What the heck, you know? Um, But I think we should have a blast and we're going to have a blast. It's awesome to be able to be with you, meeting a bunch of new friends and uh, seeing some great new people here. Met a great new person, Julia, my friend in the back over there and Pastor Tyrone and Amy. I don't know if you know this, but you have some of the most amazing pastors on the planet. Come on, give them a hand. Yeah, they are. Genuinely loves God, genuinely loves people, and you can't ask for more than that. And uh, uh, so, hey, it is awesome to be able to be with you guys and be able to hang out. A little bit about me. Uh, my name is Chris, and I am the founding pastor of South Hills Church. Uh, I am based out of San Clemente, California. Live at the beach. I know. Uh, they need the Lord, too. So, um, and I live there uh, in San Clemente Beach, and uh, um, uh, lead, lead and founding, or founding pastor of South Hills Church. We've got 12 campuses nationwide. Uh, I am the founder of Church Boom, which we're going to talk about today. We, uh, towards the end, what we do is we coach uh, pastors and we rescue churches. Churches that are dying and need help, we come along and we rescue them, and there are thousands of those. Uh, I've written a bunch of books. My newest book is pretty kind of, it's kind of cool, but it came out six weeks ago, and it's a number three bestseller in the nation, which is awesome. And uh, thank you for two of you that are... Celebrate! It's it's a lot easier to to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, if I said something bad, you'd be like, "Oh!" I say something good, you're like, "It's like social media. Don't celebrate. No one's going to comment." Um, and uh, most importantly, above all that, I have been married for 31 years. Yeah, to a beautiful Hispanic woman. 
And, uh, oh, yeah, no, she's hot. And uh, she doesn't speak any English, but that helps us get along. Uh, you can't really argue about anything if you can't talk to each other. And uh, we have two amazing children. Then we have this third one. No, I'm no, but, um, no, I'm fine. We have two amazing children, and uh, uh, and we, my uh, my daughter, uh, a while back, gave us our very first ever grandbaby, and uh, uh, and I got to tell you, I was like, when she told me, like, oh, you're, I'm pregnant, I'm like, I do not want that title, that does not fit me, you know, but then I held the baby, I'm like, forget the title, this is amazing. <laughs> How many are grandparents here? Oh, it's the greatest. I'm telling you, I don't care how young you are or whatever. You're not even close to it. It's the greatest thing on the planet. It is God's reward for you not killing your kids. It is an amazing thing. It is absolutely incredible. I was holding my granddaughter recently. Her name is Mila Brave. Oh, Mila Brave. And, um, and I was holding her recently. And my adult son, he's like, Dad, it's like you love her more. I go, no, it's not like I do. I do. I'm very clear now. <laughs> I literally looked at him and said, you had a good run. It's over for you. So anyway, hey, if you've got a Bible, we'll go there in a minute. We're not going to read it yet, but we will in a few minutes. If you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible next time in a hotel, get one. They're free. Um, I steal them all the time and sell them on eBay. It's a little side hustle. Um, but... Uh, uh, Here's the thing. We live in a world that loves heroes. We love heroes. Society has made billions of dollars off the Marvel, DC, billions of dollars off this thing of heroes. We all imagined what it would be like to be a hero. You were a little kid and you thought about it. We all love heroes. Now, if you had to choose, maybe you could care less about this, but if you had to choose, what would you choose? Superman or Batman? Come on, real quick. Superman. Who says Superman? Okay, who would say Batman? Look, look at all you dark people and evil. Um, back caving all over the place. Um, if you had to choose Iron Man or Spider-Man, who would say Iron Man? You had to choose. You have to. Spider-Man. Whoa. Oh, man. A little cheering. Okay. All right. Uh, if you had to choose, one more. Had to choose. Captain America or Wonder Woman? How many say Captain America? Wonder Woman. Okay. Some of the guys went, oh, sorry about that, honey. Um, I'm watching some of you guys. All right. You have to choose. We love to be heroes. Men, you'll understand this. Don't ever for a moment think and don't act like you've never done this. Somewhere in your childhood, somewhere growing up, you imagine what it would be like to be in the bottom of the ninth and hit the home run in a World Series. Oh, oh I do. I still think about it today. Or Lord, just give me the money. Either way, I'm fine. Um, or you imagine what it's like to take that final shot in the game and win in the finals in the NBA or what it's like to catch that ball or throw that football and you know what it would be like to be that star on stage and say we love the heroes and that we love the concept my son when he was growing up uh, he's now uh, in his 20s but when he was growing up he played baseball his life and I loved it now if you know anything about baseball I love baseball I've been to all 30 stadiums my son every every major league stadium I've been to and I love baseball my son now if you know anything about baseball if you're a lefty that's a great thing it's in baseball. And so I remember my son's like two years old, three years old, and I'm trying to teach him baseball right away. And he's throwing it with his right hand. He's three years old. He's four years old. And I'm like, God, he can't throw. Well, you know, I like baseball. What the heck? And so he's throwing like this. I threw the ball over his head one day and he was like four and you know, he ran towards it. I'll get a dad. He gets it. He picks it up with his left hand. I'm like, son, wrong hand. And he fires it at me. And I'm like, hallelujah. He's a lefty. I could hear the angels. And, um, and I was like, he's a lefty. So, man, he just did phenomenal. Five years old, seven years old, nine years old, 11, 12, 13, 14. There was a span there where he was averaging less than three hits in a game when he would pitch six or seven innings. He was killing it. Went to high school, went to college, and then realized in college, wow, there's a lot of great players. And didn't go any farther than college. Even though I had a tattoo put on his arm that says 401k for my own benefit, um, he didn't go any farther. But I tell you what, when he was about maybe seven years old, I remember walking by the bathroom at our house and I remember hearing him talking in there. I'm thinking, who's he talking to? And I looked, the door was kind of slightly open. I look in and I look and he's seven years old by himself in the mirror like this. It's the bottom of the night. He's doing the whole thing. He's got the announcer down and everything. It's the bottom. Here comes the pit. He hits. It's gone. It's over. And he's by, he walked. 
Come on, parents, your heart's melting. I'm like, buddy, you know, and he's just cheering. And I probably have a period of a year. I saw him do that two or three times at the bottom, but never, ever once, not one time, did he look in the mirror that I ever peeked in and he went, it's the bottom of the, here comes the pit. He swings, he misses, he's a loser, never. <laughs> Every time he's the hero in the story. Jesus, several years ago, a couple thousand years ago, some of you that are new to church, I'm kind of explain something. Jesus one day was talking to a group of religious people. Let's say there was 30 of them for argument's sake. And there was one religious guy that was kind of an expert in religious law. And him and Jesus have this conversation. And in this conversation, here's a couple things we find out. First, we find out the recipe to be a hero. Secondly, we find out is that Jesus expects everyone to be a hero. So we learn how to be a hero, and we learn there's an expectation of a hero. And it happens in this very unique conversation that Jesus has 2,000 years ago with him and this religious law expert and a group of a bunch of other religious Jewish people. Okay, here we go. Let's take a look at it, and we're going to get right into it. Verse 25 of Luke 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Now, I'm thinking out loud, what a dumb thing to try to test. Jesus. Pretty good chance he's going to pass the test. He's not thinking, oh, you know, I really don't know that. Boy, that dumbfounded me. He knows. And it says, by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love that Jesus didn't answer the question. So the guy goes, hey man, how do I get to heaven? How do I get eternal life? Jesus' reply is, well, you're the expert. You tell me. Basically, that's what he does. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. It's called the Good Samaritan. So if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this, but I promise you, you most likely haven't heard about this next part. It's very unique. Okay, let's go on in the story. Verse 27, this is where it gets unique. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and then love your neighbor. Come on, help me out. Love your, as your. Okay, now why is that so unique? Okay, I want you to mentally separate the words from the underlined word. Okay, love the Lord your God, heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then kind of part two, if you will, the bold, the underlined, love your neighbors yourself. Why is that so important? Let me share with you a reason. The religious man says to Jesus, oh, I know how to get to heaven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. You got to understand something. This is the first time a religious person added love your neighbors yourself. Okay, now the first part's found in a book called Deuteronomy. The second part is found in a book called Leviticus. And so what happened was, weeks before, Jesus added the love your neighbors yourself in a conversation. You can find it in the Bible. So this guy must have overheard Jesus add it because they would never do that. They would only read the top part. In other words, the religious guys, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, would only say, hey, how do you get to heaven? I just love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. They left off the love your neighbors yourself. Jesus added it, and this guy must have heard it because he added it too. Jesus is the one that said, wait a minute, guys, you're also missing this part. It's, you're, you're getting part of the law, but you're missing the other part. And don't we do the same thing? Come on now. We look at the Bible and go, I like this part of the Bible. Hey, how many love the God forgives you part of the Bible? How many not so thrilled when he wants you to forgive someone else? That part, that part of the scripture, you spill coffee on it. It doesn't read anymore for you. Um, Hey, love, hey, the, the Bible wants to say that the, uh, or God says he wants to pour out the windows from the windows of heaven, a blessing on your life that you can't contain. Anybody? Does that sound good to anybody? A blessing you can't even contain? Okay, but then he says the pathway to that is extreme generosity. Well, I don't know if I like that part. Do you, do you see? That's what he was saying to these guys. Hey, you, you like to love the Lord your God. That's pretty easy. Love your neighbors yourself. Like, that's a whole nother level. Jesus was adding that because they were only listening to one part and not the other. A while back, I was late to an appointment, and I hate being late, very much on time. And uh, so I'm late to an appointment, and uh, not an appointment, a speaking engagement. I do a lot of speaking for, we have campuses, and I speak a lot, and then I, uh, probably two or 300 times a year, I'm traveling all the time. And so I was late, and it was in California where I live, and I was going down the freeway, and I'm like, I am late to the speaking engagement. I got like 30 minutes to go. And so I am flying down the freeway, doing a nice Christian 95, and... Um, <laughs> 
Isn't it funny how when we speed, we pray at the same time? Lord, as I break the law, help me. It's an odd thing that we do. Uh, but I am. I'm driving down the freeway. I'm like, Lord, just help me, help me, help me, help me. And then I look into my mirror, and there's the blue and red. And I'm like, what happened, Lord? And uh, then he pulls me. Then I get pulled over, you know? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I pull over, blah, blah, blah. And the guy gets out of the car. You know how you look in the mirror to kind of see what's going on? The guy gets out of the car. And I, as he's getting out of the car and walking to my car, I look over. Now, I'm going to just total confession here, total transparency. And I'm telling you, I know it's wrong. I'm just going to tell you. I looked over and I saw my Bible. And I thought, I'm going to put it on the dashboard. Maybe he's, you know, <laughs> one of us. So I put the Bible on the dashboard. And he comes up. I roll the window down. He goes, uh, license registration, please. And so I'm looking for it. And I give him whatever like that. And he's talking to me and blah, blah, blah. And the entire time, he's, I see his eyes shifting. And he's looking at my Bible the whole time. And I'm thinking in my mind, Pastor Tyrone, I'm thinking, I got him. This is it, man. Woohoo, brothers, you know. And this is good. He goes back to his car. After he's eyed my Bible the whole time. He goes back to the car. And I look at him thinking, he's writing me a ticket. He's actually doing it. What happened? And um, then he comes up. No joke. Here's your license. I sign here. Blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, okay, drive safe. Have a good day. And he steps away. And then he steps back as I'm rolling up the window. He goes, by the way, he goes, read Romans 13.1. <laughs> now, I know the Bible. I don't know every verse in the world. So I, he drives away. I open it up. Obey the laws of the land. <laughs> no joke. You guys are laughing at my pain. $220 later. Um, you know what it's really telling me? Hey, buddy, I can see that you love the Bible and you love God, but you got to live by all of it. And that's really what Jesus was doing that day. He's like, hey, uh, you got to love the Lord God with heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors, yourself. You're, you're missing the Leviticus part. You're missing it. Because it was more difficult than just love God. Now I want you to do actually this. Now what is the guy's response? Or what's Jesus' response? The guy says, love the Lord your God. And you know, then Jesus says, right. Look at verse 28. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Now I love it because it feels like the conversation's over. The guy goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Because he heard Jesus talk about it a few weeks before. Jesus goes, right. Do it and you'll live. Conversation's over. But now, can you imagine what you think that would look like? The guy says, okay. And Jesus goes, yeah. And he walks away. It's almost like the guy taps Jesus on the shoulder, kind of pulls him around. And look what it says. The man wanted to justify his actions. There it is. He said, wait, 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 Jesus. Hold on. Okay. The man wanted to justify his actions. And he says, so he says, who is my Neighbor, Isn't that interesting? Hold on a second. I want to justify my... Wait, Jesus. Wait, 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 wait. Now, wait a minute. Who's my neighbor? You, you know what he's really saying? Jesus, what's the lowest amount of neighborly love I can give and still be cool with you? That's really what he's saying. Now... We're not Jewish people that lived 2,000 years ago, but if you were Jewish people that lived 2,000 years ago, you would know why he asked this question. Because in those days, the people that were in that, that tribe, their family, as Jewish people, they would always live together on the same little area. Grandma's across the street, the uncle's over there, the cousin's there, your grand, granddaughter's back here. Everybody lives in the same area. So think about that for a moment. He's going, oh, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because if you're talking about like this little group on my street, Golden. I love these people. They're all relatives. We're all family. We're, this is good. We're familiar. But what he knew, he knew Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. I want you to go even farther. He was trying to justify that I was good here, but I'm not good out here. And he was trying to justify his actions because he knew there are some people, as a, as a religious guy, he knew, there are some people I haven't loved. Have you ever noticed that? Hey, it ain't always easy to love everybody, is it? You ever notice that with people? You ever notice people that bring more joy when they exit the room than when they enter? You know what I'm talking about? Like, really? You got to go. That's too bad. You know what I'm talking about. Let's go back to the story. Jesus replied with a story. Okay? So the man says, who is my neighbor? I love it. Hold on. First, remember the man goes, how do I go to heaven? He goes, well, you, you know the answer. Doesn't answer the question. Then the guy says, okay, but who's my neighbor? And now Jesus doesn't even answer the question. Again, he just tells him a story. 
I love this. The guy's got to be going, just give me a straight answer. Look what it says. Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead on the side of the road. By chance, a priest, that would have been a Jewish priest for sure, came along. But when, the, when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the, of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised, what's the word? A what? Despised Samaritan, we'll come back to that in a minute, came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Jesus tells this story. Okay, I want you to picture what it would look like. Jesus is telling a story. There's 30 people there. One of them is sort of a religious expert in the law. Jesus basically says, I got a story for you. There's this priest. This guy gets all beat up. He's lying on the side of the road. He desperately needs help. And this priest, one of your guys' priests, he walks by and doesn't do anything. They're like, because <gasps> they think that, you know. And then he's like, the temple assistant, he sees the man bleeding out. He doesn't do anything. But a Samaritan, he used the word despise, because Jews hated Samaritans, and they thought they were the lowest level of mankind. They hated Samaritans. Now Jesus said, but the Samaritan walked by, and he took notice. Here's what, now if you're, if you're there, as the religious people, you're thinking, hold on, you just said our priest didn't do anything. You just said our temple assistant didn't do anything. You're, and you're about to make the Samaritan the lowest of the lows, the ones we hate? Are you about to make him the hero? Because Jesus is setting it up, and they got to be thinking, whoa, you're about to make him the hero. Let's step out of the story, and let me give you one thing to write down. If you're taking notes, I hope you are, because you'll remember 70% more. Here we go. Number one, take notice of what's in front of you. Help me out, everybody in the house. Take notice of what's in front of you. You. Okay, that's the, that's the essence of this thing. You got to take notice of what's in front of you. That's what Jesus is saying. The priest walked by, saw him. The temple assistant walked by, saw the man bleeding and all that. Then, then the Samaritan walks by and he takes notice of him. He sees him for who, who he really is. He takes notice of that man. And that's the thing. That's, the, that's that one first lesson we get out of, a, out of here is you have to take notice of whatever Jesus puts in front of you. Do you know why? This is important. You know what revelation means? Revelation is when God opens your eyes to something brand new. Here, let me tell you something. Here's what Jesus is saying in that story. Revelation requires responsibility. When your eyes open up to something for the first time, you're like, man, that's a problem. That revelation, help me out, requires what? Always requires responsibility. Very clear in scripture. Revelation requires responsibility. Remember years ago when I was uh, um, speaking regularly at one of our campuses. I don't speak regularly anymore at any of the campuses, but um, because we have all live speaking, but I was speaking regularly and it's a massive auditorium. You know, we have several thousand people that go there and I'm, I'm over here getting ready for one of the services to start. We have five services, like a, it's like our 10 a.m. service, getting ready for the service to start. And in walks this guy I'd never seen before. And he comes over and sits right there. Now, a little bit of honesty. I know this is stereotyping, but have you ever met anybody that flat out looked intimidating? Come on, raise your hand. You know what I mean? They may be the nicest person in the world, but you meet them. You're like, uh oh, you know, they're intimidating. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever been late at night pumping gas? You're all there by yourself. Someone pulls up, gets out of the car. You're like, yeah, $1.50 is enough because you're intimidated by this person, you know, and $1.50 almost get you two ounces. And, um, and so you're intimidated. This dude was intimidating. I, I mean, he was big. Let me just describe him to you. He was, if, if he wasn't the Godfather, but he was the guy that looked like the guy that guarded the Godfather. Do you know what I mean? Just, he had that Italian mobster look. And uh, I walk over, he's 6'2", his hair is slicked back, he's tatted all the way up to his neck like this, he's got chains all the way down like this. He has sunglasses on that he never takes off. When I mean never, worship, prayer, I baptize him with sunglasses. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he came up, I mean just, Literally, he, and I walk over and I go, and I'm thinking, he is an intimidating looking man. I walk over, I go, how you doing? He stands up and he talks like this, honest to God. Which, by the way, don't you love when pastors say, can I be honest with you? Because I'm always thinking, what have you been doing up to this point? But anyway, I walk over and I'm like, hey, how you doing? He stands up and this is exactly how he sounds. I go, hey, my name's Chris, how you doing? He goes, my name's Glenn. And I'm like, he is, he's part of the mob. <laughs> I'm looking for the cannoli or something, you know, and just like, 
Some of you got that, some of you didn't. Um, if you haven't seen it, you know, if you know, you know. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, so I meet him, blah, blah, blah. I go back, sit down, worship goes, we do all that stuff. I get up to speak. I speak, he's sitting right there in the front row. Packed place, huge. And I'm sitting there, and, uh, uh, and I'm doing some funny stuff, a funny story. Everybody's cracking up, falling out of their chairs. Not him. He's just like this the whole time. I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. That's why he came here. He came here to kill me. And I literally, like, I get done speaking. I go down here. We do the offering at the end, the little buckets and the whole thing, you know. And uh, the associate pastor gets up, and he prays for the offering. I'm sitting right there, way over here, and then 10 chairs down is, is Glenn. And he's sitting right there. And I look down, and during prayer for the offering. So the associate's praying for the offering. I'm done with the message. I'm where Pastor Tyrone. I look right over here, and I'm like, I'm, everybody's praying except for me. I had to keep my eyes open in case he came at me. And, um, and I look over and he starts rolling up his pant leg. I'm like, that's it. He's going for a gun. And he undoes his a rubber band on his pant leg. He has got the biggest grip I have ever seen in my life, honestly, of $100 bills. Honest, Pastor Ty. He had to have probably 10 grand on his ankle. And I'm like, what in the world, you know? And I look down like that. He's getting ready for the offering. Everybody's still praying. I'm looking down over him, and he's counting them out. And he stops. And I'm like, I know where the bodies are. Come on, give. And um, he just, unreal. But anyway, so he keeps coming back. After about a month or so, he keeps coming back every week, every week, every week. month or two goes by, whatever it is. And he comes up, and he goes, I said, yeah. He goes, I want to help out. I want to serve. I'm like, okay, great. What do you want to do? He goes, I'd like to help out with security. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> People show up late and then, you know, you just clip them. You know I mean? It's just a pepper spray or what? And so this is the, the honest of God. We said, well, maybe you could be an usher. I'm telling you, you want your offerings to go through the roof? Have him take the offering. He'll stand over you row to row. That's all you got? Come on. People putting in their jewelry. They're dropping in their kids in the bucket. <laughs> People scared to death of this guy. So it's so funny because we do this thing called family month, biggest time of the year. I'm getting ready for my family month message. You know, it's Thursday before the family month. People bring friends and all that. They're all challenged too. And so I'm doing, I'm getting ready for my message at the knock on the door. I said, yeah. And opens up to my assistant. She goes, hey, Pastor Chris. I said, yeah. She goes, you got to call on line one. I said, well, tell them I'll call them back in an hour or so. I got to finish these thoughts. She's shutting the door. I kid you not. She's shutting the door and I go, and then she says, okay, I'll let Glenn know. And I said, hold it because I wanted to live. And so, and she goes, what? And I said, I'll take it. And I could, I pick up the phone and I go, this is Chris. And this is all he says, Chris, this is Glenn. I'm bringing 15 people on Sunday. Reserve the first three rows. Click. That was it. No goodbye. God bless you. Shalom. Nothing. Literally, I'm reserved the free. I looked down on the little office phone. It was an 11 second conversation. So I got the staff together. I went, we got to reserve the first three rows this Sunday. They're like, what are you worried about? We got that little rope. And I said, no, no, we need thick rope. Stuff that would hold down the Titanic. I don't need anybody messing with the three rows. So service is about to start, you know? And so service is getting ready to start. And I, I, uh, uh, the, the one service he was going to come to, and I come over and I personally rope him off. Now, not that I'm above it, but we got plenty of people to do that. But I personally came out and did it. And man, people came by, you know, and they're lifting up the rope because they got to sit in the same seat just like you did this morning and don't act like you didn't. And, um, and then there are people lifting up the rows. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Some lady comes by, you know, and she's in a walker like that. And I'm like, nah, I can't she falls down, you know. The tennis ball at the bottom of the walker. Da, 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 da. And so finally, Glenn walks in two minutes before the service starts. Not with 15 first-time guests, but with 21 first-time guests. Some of the people are like, we're going to church. And some were like, it's this or death. But they all showed up. <laughs> and there they were. Now, Glenn still goes to the church. I still see him. He's still hilarious and he's still intimidating. But I just knew that God put him in my life. And I knew that there was something to be done. And I knew that revelation requires responsibility. Whether that is a need or a problem or an issue, when God opens our eyes, revelation requires responsibility. It always does. Revelation requires responsibility. You got to take notice of what's in front of you. Let's go back to the scripture. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Now, hold on. If he put the man on his own donkey, it means that he had to do what? 
He had to walk, okay? And took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Okay, the man, the Samaritan, the, the, the priest walks by, does nothing for the beat up man. The temple assistant walks by, does nothing. The Samaritan, the one everybody hates that Jesus is talking to, Jesus makes him the hero. And he says, oh no, no, he stops and he gives him his oil and his wine and his bandages. He gives what he can. He does what he can. He puts him on his own donkey. He does all this stuff. He set him up to be the hero. And here's the second thing I want you to write down. Here's what I think Jesus is telling us in the story. Do what you can with what you have. You don't wait for perfect conditions. Proverbs says if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So you do what you can with what you have. Hey, you know what? That guy probably needed medicine. All the guy had was oil, wine, and bandage, but you do what you can with what you have. The guy probably needed a horse to get there quicker than a donkey, but you do what you can with what you have. The guy probably needed a hospital, not an inn, to spend the night, but you do what you can with what you have. And that's what revelation is all about. Revelations when God opens our eyes and it requires responsibility. And when we walk away and say, I'm not going to do something about that, I think there's a conversation to be had with God about that. Because I think revelation requires responsibility. You got to do what you can with what you have. I remember when we started South Hills Church 23 years ago. God has done amazing things. But I remember the first time we started the church, we made a video about our church, a four-minute video about our church. This is when the video was on its way out. DVD was on its way in. And we made a video about our church. It's a four-minute video about our church, and we sent it out to 10,000 homes. Do you know how hard it is to make a four-minute video about a church that doesn't exist? You got people on there going, it's changed my life. I'm like, you liar. We haven't had a service yet. And, um, but we made... 10,000 of these videos, and they were going to go to homes, you know, and we had them labeled at the, what's called a mailhouse. What happened, though, is that they, this is the, the week of our launch, March 29th, 1998. We were going to launch our church, and we were sending out 10,000 videos to 10,000 different homes, announcing the brand, the launch. On Tuesday morning, the, the videos were to arrive. There was a problem at the mailhouse, and here's was the problem. Uh, the label machine got stuck, and of the 10,000 10, videos that were to go out to 10,000 different homes, homes, by accident, 7,000 of those videos went to the same house. No joke. That was the launch of our church. Lady called me up and she was so mad. They delivered 7,000 videos to her house on pallets. She was so mad. She was cussing me out. They're like four or five sold customers. I was writing them down. I'm like, yeah, I never heard of that one before. And um, it was unreal, you know, and, uh, and here's the worst part. She didn't even show up to church. Like, lady, I got like 19 grand invested in you. Could you show up once? The church launched and God did some awesome things and we just exploded. God did some great things. In those first couple of years, I think is some of my biggest pride, good pride that came into the people of our church. I remember when these teenagers were... Um, Two or three teenagers in the church, it was just exploding. It went to 200, 400, 800, it went so fast. And these teenagers were like, we saw this documentary that these kids are in need of shoes in third world countries. So they decided to take their shoes off for 30 days. They went to school, they went to church, they went everywhere without shoes, just to bring awareness. And I honestly, as a pastor, like, well, that's cute. By the end of the 30 days, they were interviewed on six or seven different national TV stations that showed up to our church. I was like, they're here for me. No, they're here for the kids. And... Um, and they ended up, by the end of that, they ended up with about 15,000 at 30 days. Adidas, Nike, Puma, everybody got a hold of it. And they ended up getting 15,000 shoes. Then they found someone to pay for them, and they sent them to third world countries. Just a couple, couple teenagers. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't an announcement at church. It wasn't a QR code that they did and filled out. The pastor didn't have to beg them. They just did what they could with what they had. That's it. I think of the two people in our church during that time that they worked nights and they both got off at seven in the morning and they'd sleep till like two. They come home and all these latchkey kids in the apartment place have no parents at home. So they went to all the parents and said, hey, on Wednesdays, can we provide like food and snacks and a curriculum and teach about the Bible? All these parents are like, heck yeah, because they got nothing else to do. You know, next thing you know, they got five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 kids showing up in the little apartment complex in the little play area and they're teaching them Bible studies all on their own. Then they rented a van, the church rented a van for them and they started bringing those kids and bringing those parents. You know what? They didn't sign up at the church. No one promoted it. They just did what they could with what they had. I think of Rick and Cassidy, who had a neighbor across the street at our church who the, the father left, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and the mom, and the father abandoned them. 
took off. And, she, and one day, Rick was out there working in his garage. He looked across the street on a Saturday, and he saw the single mom holding her three-year-old. Her daughter is on a five-year-old on a little bike going around in the driveway. And with one hand, she's trying to wash her car. He went in and grabbed his wife, said, we got to do something about this. Went over there, finished washing the car. He went and got his lawnmower, mowed the front and back yard. And they did that for the next three or four years, every single Saturday for this woman because he did what they could with what they had. That's what Jesus asked us to do. Revelation requires responsibility. That's the message here is that he's trying to get out. Let's go back to the story quickly. Now, which of these three, look at Jesus's question. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who is attacked by bandits? Oh, this is interesting. <clears throat> Think about it for a moment. He's wanting them to admit that the Samaritan's the hero, which they hate Samaritans. Now, which of these three loved their neighbor the best? Which of these three best pleased God? Which of these three were actual hero? Look what it says, though. It says, <clears throat> the man replied, the one who showed mercy. Hold on. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan? He hated him so bad he couldn't even say it? And then, then Jesus said, now go, yes, now go and do the same. This is an amazing thing because here it is. I believe this. The Samaritan was the hero because he came to the rescue. The Samaritan was the hero because he came to the rescue. He did what no one else would do. He came to the rescue. And this is the story. Revelation requires responsibility. Now, <clears throat> to your own world, to your own coworker, to the person across the street, to the neighbor, to the people two doors down who don't even know you're a Christian yet, let's just be Jesus to people. And let's see the need and fill it. First, what you got to do is you got to take notice of what's in front of you. Then you got to do what you can with what you have. That's the revelation here that Jesus is talking about. And it requires responsibility. Pastor Tyrone already mentioned about what we're doing. And I want to give you a chance right now, every person in this place to join me in being a hero. And here's, here's the story. Ready? We're going to wind it down, but just stay with me. And then we're going to watch a quick video, and then Pastor Tyrone will wrap it up. Listen to this quick story. Uh, we started this thing called Church Boom about eight years ago, and all we ever did was just coach pastors. It's just, it's just an organization that coaches pastors and helps pastors like your pastor. Then, quite a while back, a year and a half, two years ago, we just decided, we started thinking about churches and then we started thinking about America and all the problems that are going on. And about 18 months ago, we all gathered. I, I, I grabbed like 15 guys. We flew into Dallas, Texas, and we all met at this hotel in this conference room, about 15 to 20 pastors. I stood up in a room, and they had no idea where they were. They're just friends of mine with big churches. And I'm like, hey, guys. I go, how many would agree with me? This is my opening comment. How many would agree with me that we're not in the same America we were in just three years ago? How many would agree with me this morning? Come on, has America changed or what? It is radically changing to the worst. And we're not talking 15 years ago. We're not into the last 36 months. It's different. And they're like, yeah. Now I said, hey, we can go on social media and complain about it. We can all just go back to our churches and grow our big churches. I said, or we can discover how we can be part of the solution. So we dug in deeper and realized, wait a minute. In America, when Christianity came to America, it was the fastest growing thing in the, in the world. It was incredible. In 1950, church growth was outpacing America population. It was incredible. But I looked at the guys and I'm like, guys, we got all this problem in America, but can I tell you where I think the root of it is? We're losing churches. And the, if the churches are a lighthouse, the more the lighthouses go out, the darker America gets. We got to do something. So we started looking at some stats. We started finding out some crazy things. Here's a couple of them. Put them on the screen for me if we could. Here's a couple of them. Since 2014, America has been uh, closing five to 10,000 churches per year, folks. That means between 100 and 200 churches this morning will have their final service. Over 70% of all churches are in decline. Over 70%. We're not going in the right direction. Church membership in the U.S. has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. Folks, listen to me. We have less people that actually are even claiming to have a faith than ever before in our history. I just saw a new stat. We have more churches shutting down than ever in our history. I just saw an article I showed him this morning. It says this. It says Ameri uh, uh, the, the, uh, Fox News, the amount of churches that open can't keep up with the churches that are closing. 
Folks, the darker we get as the church, the darker America gets. So we got together, these pastors, and I was like, guys, we got to do something, man. We're the generation in America where we're losing spiritually. Not the generation before us or the generation before us or the generation. We're the ones. And we got to do something. So we said, well, okay, what's an answer? We can go on social media. That doesn't ever help. <laughs> we can go and just grow our big churches. I guess that'll help. What could we do? And we thought, well, wait a minute. If these churches are dying, what if we came in and rescued them? What if we brought, what if that little church in that farm town of, of Nebraska, we could keep open that little church of 20 that's dying. What if we could get it up over hundred and they start thriving again? What if we started doing that? So we thought, okay, one, we're going to give them free coaching. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. We're just going to give them free coaching. We're going to start coaching. And we've got 250 churches a week that are in our rescue program that we're coaching right now. A week. And then we said, well, man, some of them was like, okay, it's great. But man, now the roof, like in Detroit, the roof is leaking recently you know, in January and it's like the winter time. I'm like, okay, we're, we got them past hundred, but now the roof's leaking. They need eight grand. Boom, eight grand showed up. So we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars to, to rebuild these churches and to give them free coaching and to give them free resources. Why? Because if we don't keep America's churches open, we lose America. And this is a revelation, and revelation requires what? Come on, it requires what? Absolutely requires responsibility. So we thought, okay, what are we going to do, man? And we began to just see God do incredible things. We just started it, and it just started taking off. Let me show you real quick a couple friends of mine. Put Seth, the first guy on the screen for me. We'll skip over the other one. Seth, here's my buddy Seth. He's in Maine. Calls us up. He's like, I need to get in your rescue program. I've got about 35, 40 people in our church and we're about to sell the church. We don't know what to do. We're going to put it up for sale. I said, stay with us, Seth. We'll help you. This church last week had 175 people in it and they are growing and reaching people for Jesus. Come on. Here's another one real quick. My buddy Vinny Green in, in uh, uh, Vermont. He, I'll never forget when he called us up. He's like, I, I, I said, you need some help? And he said, yeah. He goes, I want to get in your rescue program. I go, how many people do you have? He says, 33. When you say 33, it means exactly 33. It's not like 30 or 40. It's 33. <laughs> so we helped him, man. And we got behind him. We blessed him. We gave him all sorts of free. We've been coaching him regularly. He's always on our calls. We're helping him. We took a team and flew out there. We helped him. Last week, they had 275 people in their church totally changed the church. That's another lighthouse that didn't go out in America. Come on. There's the next one right here. Pastor Muda, my buddy. He's uh, in Detroit and uh, I'll be seeing him tomorrow. Matter of fact, he calls us up. I got 40 people in my church. I got a roof that leaks and I got toilets that don't flush. And now he's got flushing toilets, a roof that's not leaking and 150 people in his church. And he's reaching the inner city of Detroit. Then our last one, we even care about Duck Dynasty here at Church Boom. Um, <laughs> this is Brian and, and Laura Detalante in Evansville, Indiana. I'll never forget his story. I'll tell you the story quickly. Tuesday, it's a Tuesday, and he's at his desk. His church is two months behind in their bills. He said, I've got 40 people in my church, and we are dying. He goes, I looked down on my desk, and there was a puddle of tears. I literally asked him, I go, literally or just... You know, and he goes, no, literally, I didn't know what to do. He goes, I got invited to a free event by church boom us on a Thursday. He goes, I showed up, I checked it out. He goes, a couple of you guys came and sat next to me and said, we can help you. We can rescue you. We've been working with them for 14 months. Last week he had 335 people in his church. The guy is so confident now. Folks, you know what we did? We, and then what we did is this, we just, about a year, year and a half ago, we just started going to healthy churches with wonderful pastors like yours, churches of 100 to all the way up to churches of 10,000. And we just said, healthy churches, let's help the unhealthy churches. You didn't know all these stats before. That's revelation. And what does revelation require? So we just said, what if we just started having people adopt a church at $10 a month or 20 a month or whatever they could afford? And not 80%, not 90%, not 99%, 100% of the money goes we don't live, there's no admin costs. We don't take any of it. It all goes to help us rescue churches. That's why those cards are there. Your pastor's going to run you through that. But let me give you one last scripture and then, we'll, and then I'll turn it to your video and then your pastor. When I'm tired, when I get worn out, 
when four weeks ago, a group of us were going to work with a bunch of churches on the East Coast and our flight got delayed and we had to sleep on the floor in Dallas, Texas. I, and then I'm complaining in my head and just being honest. I'm like, Come. and then I remember this scripture right here. It says this, rescue, what's the first word? Rescue. That's all of us, the perishing. That includes churches. Don't hesitate to step in and help. Oh, get this one. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? <laughs> we might walk out of here and go, hey, that's a good message. Thanks so much. Well, okay, but just keep that in mind. Like, I'm not up here begging for money because I hate that. I hate when people do that. I'm begging for help. We just need help. And, and we'll go out there and we'll rescue the churches. We just need people to get behind us and help us. And that's what we've been doing. This is a great video of my buddy Joel in uh, Roswell, New Mexico, home of the UFOs. And, uh, um, and uh, uh, his church and how it was dying and how he went there and he didn't know what to do and how God turned around. This is living proof that rescued churches rescue people. Check out this video and then your pastor will come. failure. Really, they ended up uh, uh, weathering some pretty tough years. And uh, at the end of that, uh, they'd grown back to about 60 or 70 uh, on a good weekend. And, and that was about the time that we came. Pastoring uh, before Church Boom came into our life was, uh, was scary. Uh, it was uh, very difficult. We had never been in this position before. And uh, as we came here, man, I, I wasn't really sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to make the dreams in my heart actually come to life uh, with what God had told us. As a pastor's wife, you do your best to support your husband. What was difficult was honestly to see him frustrated because he had vision, but he didn't have direction. He didn't know what questions he should be asking. I was an addict for years. I was at home and I was drinking and all the family was gone doing something. I just sitting in my chair drinking whiskey by myself and we got a call that uh, my wife's mom got hit by a drunk driver. Um, woke up in the morning and that, that whiskey was still there, dumped it out. Um, and uh, get rid of it all, uh, started, started going to church. Growing up, I just had more of that religious background rather than the relationship with Christ. So then as time went on, I just kept thinking to myself, like, man, there has to be more to God than just this. Like, we can't live up to this. I got really sad and angry and um, bitter. And instead of like realizing what it was, I started taking it out on my husband. As time progressed, I started having an emotional affair with this man. And after I had a physical affair with him, I remember going into the bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Who is this? I have never felt the Holy Spirit in my entire life. And whenever I worshiped for the first time at Waymaker. He just overtook me. sense of almost being rescued when church boom came because I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what I should be looking for. And even in my coaching calls, I would tell Chris, I, I don't even know what I should be asking you right now. Would you help me? And I realized it wasn't until somebody with understanding came to help unlock the potential uh, through the coaching. That's really what, what set us on that course.
it's hard to place a value on what we've received uh, through Church Boom, through the team at Church Boom, Pastor Chris himself. I'm also thankful that when they came in, the tools that uh, Church Boom brought, it wasn't to get us to become something other than ourselves. And there's so many amazing resources that, uh, that we're able to utilize. When I think of this church, I think of, I think of happiness. I think of a, a place where I'm safe, where my family's safe. Whenever I come to church now, I just feel so alive. Like I look forward to it. I can't get enough of church. I need this place and I couldn't do my life without Jesus and the people that are in this place. I love that we can be a part of an opportunity like this, guys, where it's not just about giving money to help churches, but it, we're really helping people, rescuing people. Did you catch that? Rescued churches rescue people. It's about other people's lives being changed because a church is able to stay open and be a lighthouse in their community. And some of us can think about where would our life be if Jesus hadn't come in? Where would we be? If we hadn't had that community that surrounded us and loved us and helped us move forward in life. There's millions of people in our country that need that desperately. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.